Welcome to VCR, Vintage Cinema Rewind. We're bringing old movies to new viewers. I'm Blake. And I'm Jason. And this is part two of We Watched Ghost from 1990. Ditto. <laughs> when we decided that we were going to watch this movie, I basically texted you and said, like, I didn't think in my entire life that I would ever watch Ghost. The only reason to watch it is because of that uh, the main pottery scene. And yeah. I, I didn't even know it was from this movie. Like, I... Who knew that that was Ghost? Because we've seen that scene so much. I knew that part, but like I didn't know that there was more to this movie. I didn't know that that was going to be in the first 15 minutes and that we were going to get through kind of all of the this is what this movie is kind of aspect to it yeah. and then dive into a much, much more interesting, compelling story than I was expecting. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and, and pleasant to watch story as well. Because uh, like even in the first 15 minutes, Jess said at one point because Jess watches a lot of Hallmark romance films around Christmas time. Yeah. She was like, there are much better Hallmark stories than this in the first 15 minutes. And I was like, well, I mean, probably it's partially like, you know, those movies have come out since then and, and they're refined their storytelling a little bit based on movies like this and, yeah. and other romance films of this time period. Right. But I think it's also because the film just has so much else going on and going for it that, like I said in the other episode, like there's so there's so many aspects of this film that you can just latch onto and get a lot of enjoyment out of. Like I, I also watched this with Annabelle, and like she was pleasantly surprised because she's she was she wanted to watch it for that pottery scene, and then mm-hmm. which like I loved. It was very like I was surprised to see it like uh such a passionate display and they acted it so right. well like that was it wasn't over the top it was well shot everything was perfect basically and i was like very surprised at how intense it was and then it completely goes the other way with the rest of the movie i loved it yeah so did i it, it, it's very it's so unique like it's it's just it's a really hard movie to describe without getting into spoilers and that's where we're here now to talk spoilers so yeah, so on that note as well, like if uh, you haven't seen this movie, then maybe go check out our primer episode to see whether or not this movie is for you. But I think that there's the movie has such widespread appeal that there's going to be something you're going to get out of this, and it is worth a watch in the modern day. Yeah, yeah. If you're not going for something too intense, like this is like a nice light movie. I think I wouldn't like go in with expectations of like having your world changed or anything. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's all of Patrick Swayze's movies. Like, you're, there's always something to love about Patrick Swayze. Yeah. And there's there's always a reason to go back to him, but it, it's not necessarily like top cinema. Yeah. This is a great popcorn flick. Let's get into full spoilers now. So for me, like when the, this movie's highs are in two places, and the first highs are whenever Patrick Swayze is a ghost, uh, and whenever Patrick Swayze is learning about how ghost powers rules work. and laws of ghost being a ghost works like so all right yeah so when patrick swayze dies at that point i wrote down because i didn't realize patrick swayze had died at that point in time they do it extraordinarily where he keeps running yeah where he keeps running and so you don't know that he's died at that point in time and so i actually wrote down on my piece of paper like is this the most death fake outs in a movie ever because like we had probably probably a couple times prior to this where like Patrick Swayze's character could plausibly have died. Mm. And so like, it kind of makes me think back to like the walking dead where Glenn's character gets death fake outs, like for like a season and a half Mm. before he actually kicks the bucket or eats the bat, I guess. (laughs) But anyway, so, so at that scene, I I was pleasantly surprised with how they did it. Like they really, they got me. I, I thought Patrick Swayze's character was still alive. And I actually thought for a second that Molly had died and that this movie was about to like completely flip the table of my expectations. Cause I, I thought Patrick Swayze was the, going to be the ghost, right? Yeah. Yeah. But the shot rings out and he keeps running and you're like, wait, did Molly just get shot? Yeah. And then also the way he ran and stopped in the distance, I thought he was going to crumple at some point, but he didn't. Right. And then he came back, but the way he was walking was very like slow and like, yeah, they they played that very well so that you didn't know for sure that he had died when, or who had died when that shot rang out. Yeah, exactly. Also, I loved his face when he realized he was dead. Like, I thought it was almost, like, it was, that was comedic and that was somewhat 
poorly acted. Where yes, I very much agree. I laughed out loud with his facial expressions with yeah. that, and I was also on to bring that up too. Yeah, because Jess was like, "I don't think you're supposed to be laughing at this," and I was <laughs> like, "I don't think you understand the humor of this acting portrayal in this moment." Yeah, because he is completely like not believable. Like his face is just like. Like it just <laughs> yeah. It reminds me of this one meme where there, I don't know where the meme comes from, but there's this like hippie kid who's high, and he's like, like <laughs> re- for a really long time, like that, like right. s- flabbergasted face, like he can't believe this is happening. And I yeah. think I think that's like a a sign of the times. Like that was just what happened at that time because when Carl dies, it a very similar thing happens. And I thought right. I found that Carl, the actor, was way better than Swayze as an actor, but he still did that crazy death face. <laughs> yeah, right. And I and I would agree with you. Like I, I thought the 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 actor who played Carl actually did a really great job, um, with the character that he was given. But yeah, Patrick Swayze is such an interesting figure in film because. There's something, like, quietly charismatic about him. Yeah. Like, he's kind of a stoic guy, mm. but he's not necessarily the best actor in the world. So it, it's really interesting because I'm always happy to see him, but I am i wouldn't say it's because of his acting chops. He's just, like, a guy that seems really cool to yeah. have in a room. Yeah, I think you'd be so much cooler as not an actor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, like, you'd just be a cool hangout guy. <laughs> Yeah, 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 like, just a cool dude. But, you know, he, like, and maybe that's because his audience isn't, like, necessarily targeted at us, right? Because Patrick Swayze is, like, a sex symbol, essentially, in the 80s and 90s. Yeah, and so you and I kind of see it in a different him in a different light than maybe what his his target audience is. Yeah, like where he where he excelled was in his scenes where he's like watching Carl freak out, and he's like, "Yeah, that's right, fucker!" Like yeah. he's like sitting back all like suave and cool, and mm-hmm. he's like, "Like you're getting what's yours now," and um, like that's where he excelled, not the like high intensity like emotional scenes. Yeah, exactly. Which is really funny because Patrick Swayze, and the reason why he got the role is because the director saw him crying on a on a talk show about his father's passing. Hmm. Wow. And so the director was looking for somebody who could play that range of kind of a tough guy, but also like somebody who can find that emotion within himself hmm. and, and isn't afraid to publicly show that emotion. And so... It's funny because that doesn't always translate well in this film with his character in particular. Yeah, yeah. Um, we, I will say that like Demi Moore's portrayal of of grief is oh, really extraordinarily done well. Yes, she stole that scene with like any scene like that in the film mm-hmm. where she was like thoroughly like distraught and yeah, her acting was phenomenal the whole time. Yeah, and what I will say though is I don't know if Demi Moore's character or if Demi Moore was given enough in this film. And I don't know if it's partially because partway through the movie, Patrick Swayze and Whoopi Goldberg just have complete sparks and their relationship is just so entertaining to watch together. And there's so much, what's the word I'm looking for? There's so much chemistry between those two actors Mm. that like it kind of overshadows Patrick Swayze's relationship with Demi Moore's character that for me like I I kind of forgot a little bit about the romance side of things until it circled back eventually but like yeah I I was kind of like I said this is the second part that I was I was fully invested in was the the relationship between Whoopi Goldberg and Patrick Swayze like when they're supernaturally fighting crime together yeah <laughs> i was like this is this is a cool movie this is the movie that i actually came here to see unexpectedly and i i think i could have done another movie with ghost patrick swayze and Whoopi goldberg fighting crime together i think there's a really cool buddy crime <laughs> film there <laughs> i'm surprised it didn't happen maybe if it was like made in the 80s they would have been like, oh, we have to run this. But yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it seems like a missed opportunity though, right? Yeah, yeah, a little bit. <laughs> but the first, the I kind of got away from this, but the first kind of thing that I, I really enjoyed was the ghost aspects of the film. Because after Patrick Swayze dies, we get a lot of like, here's how the ghost 
rules work in this world when we're in the hospital for example and we meet the other ghost yeah and they're kind of having the back and forth and they're kind of discussing like just what being a ghost is like and and you know like, and then you see someone die in front of them and not turn into a ghost they just follow the light naturally yeah yeah, yeah and go to heaven and then he kind of alludes to like well you know it's good good for him going up there because going to the other place is a little scary yeah yeah <laughs> which we see later that, in the film yeah that was such a good like f- not foreshadowing like it, it not subtle foreshadowing it was gonna happen again but like it was great to right. see it even if that's where like it was still scary but that's mm-hmm. again where like the um the effects of the day don't hold up super well yeah exactly and let's talk about that a little bit like so when the dark shadows appear to take willie down to hell the first time we see them it's you know what it is a little like creepy like it's eerie like seeing them and the the sounds that they make are are somewhat like like i was like whoa like I, i wasn't expecting this to kind of almost take a horror turn to it yeah, there was enough horror there. Again, they balanced it well with mm-hmm. the rest of the movie. Like there was enough there to make it even today you're a little scared of it. Like yeah. that concept. Like if that was if that was happening to you it'd be scary as shit. <laughs> yeah, and like the second time though, like when Carl dies, at that point, I actually found it more funny. Like Jess and I were laughing out loud <laughs> with the, the the ghosts, and like the one had like a face, and they had yeah. like hands and stuff, and and they're dragging them down. Like Jess and I were laughing out loud at how like how schlocky it was. Yeah, it was like a kid today would do that, would like would direct it that way and write it, and sorry, draw it that way. Yeah. But again, like, it's not like I was having a bad time. It's not like I was like, oh, like, these effects are bad. It was like, well, these effects aren't great, but, like, I'm entertained by it. Yeah, yeah. So, like, I'm I'm kind of a sucker for, like, films and TV shows that kind of show the supernatural abilities and, like, build, like, build, like, a, up a magic system or build up, yeah. like, a, a, a sort of, like, like, this, in this case, the ghost system. Like, I'm I'm always interested in learning, like, how a director and a writer are going to tell the story of 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 like this something that you've seen before but in this situation like we're building this and and we've got all this lore kind of baked into this idea and train man is where that comes in the most whatever his character's name is we we were calling him train man the whole time (laughs) yeah we i think his name was subway ghost is what they call him in like the credits. credits yeah but yeah like when he he appears it's really interesting and so, like, my most recent experience with this is in the show What We Do in the Shadows, uh, mm. the exploration of Colin Robinson as an energy vampire. Yeah, yeah. I Like, I just, I love every time they're just like, oh, we should just, like, randomly throw in, like, this is a law of how energy vampires work. Like, yeah. I, I'm just, um, every time that happens, I just, I really get a lot of enjoyment out of that. I had a question for you. Mm-hmm. Do you think this is the best main character is a ghost film? There aren't that many, and so many are done poorly. So, so uh, here's here's in my opinion, the three that would be in discussion with this: mm. the Sixth Sense, yeah. spoilers, yeah. Beetlejuice, and The Crow. You could also go to other genres as well, like uh, Angels in the Outfield. Like I love, yeah. I loved Angels in the Outfield, and that's similar time. I wouldn't say this is the best. No, it's up- well. Which one would you argue is better then? <sighs> They're all for different reasons. So maybe it's the best of like this weird mashup of a movie, mm-hmm. but like <sighs> it's been a long time since I saw those other movies, if, if I'm being completely fair as well, so it's a little bit hard to judge, but Yeah, and that's kind of where I'm at. But like the sixth sense, it takes a while for you to figure it out. Like right. they, they did it they hit it well. And yeah. like of course that's the whole point of that movie is to hide it. <laughs> Yeah. Um so yeah, I wouldn't put it I wouldn't put this beside those other movies or really near the top. It's enjoyable, but it's not the best. That's fair. I'd have to watch them again. I've never been a massive fan of Beetlejuice, but that's because like I'm I'm just not a huge Tim Burton guy mm. myself necessarily. Also there's there's other movies where the dead person has to show their murder to somebody. And it happens so much in shows and movies. I don't know. Yeah. It's a tough one. <laughs> All right. Let's talk about the a very interesting scene in the film. The idea of 
Sam entering Whoopi's body to to play out like uh, a romantic scene between yeah. Molly and and Sam. So at, at one point early on in the film, Jess looked at me and said, I really, really hope that they don't have Patrick Swayze like take over Whoopi's body for some <laughs> weird like romance scene. And was, and was that after seeing that the it happened for the first time? No. No? no oh wasn't. wow. She actually said it really early on. She was like, I really hope they don't do that. And I said, but wouldn't it be really funny if they did? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, later on in the film. There's the scene where there's a weird romantic scene between between Molly Demi and Moore and Sam. and Whoopi. Yeah, and Sam. Yeah. Sam and Whoopi. Whoopi's body, yeah. They didn't they didn't do it over the top so that like you felt like I was I was just hoping they didn't redo the previous scene, but woman on woman actress like, <laughs> like I was hoping they didn't go as steamy and they didn't. It was more about like connection and like right. there was like obviously they were holding each other, but it was very um Nice. It was done as tastefully as it could have been. Yes, yes. And I was I was laughing because I was imagining it going the complete opposite way. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> In exactly. a horrible way. <laughs> like, yeah. And I think actually, uh, funny enough, in the original idea for that scene, um, there was maybe uh, like things were going to get a little bit steamier. And the director was like, there's no way that's going to work after they kind of played around with that scene a little bit. The director himself was like, when they were doing test screenings of that, like people were laughing during that scene. Yeah. And he was like, I, I don't think there's another way to do it though. Like he, he was basically like, like, you know what? I think we did it as best we can. And, and we're just going to have to deal with like the, the fact that this idea is, it's a little kooky. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it comes across like that. Like Jess and I were giggling throughout, even though like it is, it is relatively tasteful. Like, it, like, you know, as soon as he becomes whoopy, it's heartwarming. It, yeah, it's yeah, heartwarming. Yeah, there's nothing off about it, really. Yeah, and well, and part of it is because, like, as soon as he becomes Whoopi, it's Patrick Swayze is standing there holding her. Because if you would, if you would kind of flash between the two, it would have made it like a little bit more cringe. Like Jess and I, when they're when they're doing the wide shot and they're kind of moving between the pillars, mm-hmm. Jess and I were expecting it to switch between Patrick Swayze and Whoopi Goldberg yeah. standing there, yeah. and that would have been weird. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I wonder if they played with that in filming. <laughs> I would not be shocked if they did, yeah. um, because yeah. it, it felt like, like that's what the camera shot was there for. Let's talk Carl, the character of Carl. Yeah. Very interesting character. Go ahead. So... Like, one part about this whole movie that I kind of, like, there are a lot of cliches. So when Carl started being sexy with Molly, I was like, of course this was going to happen. I didn't hate it, but, like, it's, like, at the beginning, even further than that, um, Sam is like, whenever anything good happens, I lose it. It's, like, so played out. And, like, yeah. This I doubt this is the first time that's happened either. So I have I I was like losing respect as certain things like that happened. Th- mm-hmm. That that brings it down from a movie that I would like. I would love to watch like to bring someone into the fold and introduce them to this movie. This isn't yeah. in my list of like in that regard in any way because there's so many shitty cliches, but they do them well for the most. Yeah, like and- it doesn't. I didn't hate it. I was just like, rolled my eyes slightly. Yeah, and you and I are very much on the same page with that. I definitely, and actually wrote that down as well, that there are some moments that really feel played out. And I don't know if that's because it's it's a kind of a situation where this film came out and then it was parodied and copied so much that that you and I have just seen aspects of this so many times at this point that... Yeah that that's what it feels like or if it genuinely like they just played up like some of the cliches that were already very prevalent in Hollywood at this point in time. Yeah. Like they played around with them in a tasteful way. So I don't hate it. Um, yeah. So let's talk Carl, uh, his character and his portrayal. Um, it's a really interesting portrayal and a really interesting characterization because he's a pretty pathetic unempathetic character very unempathetic like you could there's no reason why you would be rooting for him at any point and you're like i was like reveling 
in how he was falling apart. Yeah. Just like Patrick Swayze Sam was. Yeah, it's it's a really interesting contrast to Alan Rickman, a movie that we recently watched with Die Hard with Alan Rickman playing Hans mm-hmm. Gruber, who is a very compelling villain that you almost want to see succeed at points in time just because yeah. you want to keep seeing his character in action. Whereas, yeah. like, I could not wait until Carl was dead. Yeah. <laughs> and I didn't know for sure that he was going to die. It made sense. But... Yeah, like I was happy when it happened. Yeah, I was gonna. I was actually thinking the same. Like when he died, I was like, "Oh, I, I guess I didn't really see that coming." Because, well, after that, I guess what I'll say is that I was like, "How? How does this pan out in this world now?" The thing that Annabelle and I caught on was like, "How is he going to heaven after this? He just killed two guys." <laughs> yeah, but you know what I mean? Like, you mean, uh, you mean Patrick Swayze's character, Sam? Yeah. Yeah, how does Sam go to heaven after he's Because killed? it's redemption through violence, my friend. It's some yeah. Old Testament <laughs> shit right there. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> God likes a good old revenge story. Yeah. <laughs> he basically set him up to kill two guys. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I did not expect Willie's death. That kind of surprised me. Like, I wasn't expecting any deaths, I guess, post-Patrick uh, Swayze. And again, Willie's death was great because he runs out of his body again yeah like, and he, there's don't a know split that second where you don't think he's dead because that when those trucks come you're like oh man this guy is so dead oh, right yeah. now and then yeah. yeah he gets up and he's like there and you're like wait a second wouldn't that have killed him and then you and yeah. then your brain again goes oh but in this world he might actually be dead <laughs> yeah yeah like he he fell out he continued for a second because he couldn't imagine being dead right like that little continuance of life or like a, that's amazing writing yes. and directing and acting like that that was really nice about this film yeah i fully agree like and again it comes back to like anytime there's any ghost lore happening in this film i'm fully invested because it's all done yeah. extraordinarily well and very unique yeah i i appreciate that a lot what were you saying right before that though <laughs> oh carl yeah and his death um and just overall his character like yeah, following along, seeing how desperate he is and how scared he is and his ruthlessness to continue at all costs as well. Like, he is not below stabbing Molly right in a, his apartment or trying to set the apartment on fire. Uh, like, he's fully... Like, he's horrified of the consequences of not getting this money. Right. Yeah, exactly. And I'm going to circle back to that point, I think, when I get to my personal review. Because I have some thoughts on the crime elements of this film. that I want to I want to segregate to that. One major thing that we actually paused the movie and chatted about for a bit. Really? Was, yeah, was you see a lot of touching. Like, person-to-person touching. Mm-hmm. And... We were like, when did this stop in real life and in movies? Because in movies, they play it up a little bit more, I think. But you see Carl like, and Molly, like they touch, they hold hands, and they're just friends at this point, even though there's other like ulterior motives happening on Carl's part. But like, there's a lot of friendly, familial, like hands-on contact Mm -hmm. which we were like when did that stop because it had to happen after like the 2000s and it was like a societal shift yeah i I kind of agree with you i didn't think about that either it i wonder if it's again comes back to some sort of cell phone psychology kind of thing or internet psychology kind of thing yeah or it was like annabelle was like i remember like a hands-off policy at school yep so, like, when did that shift happen? Yeah. Because in this 1990s movie, you see everyone touching very, like, familiarly. Yeah, that's a good point. I didn't think about that at all. It just jumped out, at, like, watching the interactions, especially between Carl and Molly. Mm-hmm. Because, again, like, they were, like, a best friend trio, basically, from the start of the movie. When they were moving, he was there to help, and he was joking around and saying, like, hey, do you guys want to go out to dinner tonight? Like, all kinds of stuff was going on there. I wonder if he was really trying to be their friend, or if it was all just 
him trying to get the money. And he was a good actor in real life in their world. Mm, I want to say that he was genuinely his friend. But when it's the decision between money and his life over his friends, uh, he chose the, the darker path. Because I like I genuinely I genuinely think that him and Patrick Swayze were very good friends, but Patrick Swayze just just knew a little too much, you know. Yeah, and it was going back to like the how bro finance they were. Yeah, because that's like obviously uh, Carl was going down this path for a long time to get to this point. Right. So maybe so was Sam in a certain sense, or maybe he was just like a straight shooter I don't uh, yeah know. i think sam's a pretty white knight in this uh in this case like yeah there, there there's not a lot of yeah complexity to his character necessarily they're almost in like a american psycho world yeah it's not to that degree but like that's their finance bro world yeah that's an interesting comparison i hadn't put those two together but now that you say that yeah they're a little more human and less uh, obviously than um, Patrick Bateman, but but like, uh, what's his name? Jared Leto's character, like that is almost like what Carl was trying to be like, right? And just fell down this uh, deep path or dark path. Mm-hmm. Let's let's talk our, a few of our favorite quotes here, and and this is really where I identified what the high points in the movie were for me, because I have three quotes. And every single one of them is the in- is interactions between Sam and Oda May, between okay. Swayze and Whoopi Goldberg, uh, which is kind of hilarious. My one of my first ones is when Sam, Oda May, and Molly are together, and Oda May is trying to convince Molly that she can speak to Sam, and and Sam's like very urgent at this point in time, trying to convince Molly that she's that she's in danger um, and that there's, there's trouble and that there's there's the, her, his killer is, is out there and very much still in her life. And so Sam says to Oda May, Molly, you're in danger. And Oda May gets irritated and says, you can't just blurt it out like that and quit moving around because you're starting to make me dizzy. I'll just tell her my own (laughs) way. And then she says, Molly, you're in danger, girl. And (laughs) it's just so funny because it's just like ever so slightly different than what he said. But I understood like what she meant though. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was good. She had like, she brought in so much comedic relief. Mm -hmm. And uh, like another, I would say one of my favorite little quote things that she had was our introduction to her where she's doing a fake uh Mm. like reading Mm -hmm. and or like with her name is rosa santiago she's like in a chair acting all um mystical Mm -hmm. and she's like i'm feeling something did he know someone by the name of anna no consuela no lucida julieta josefina linda Maria, like that was that was a really good uh, like that was a great introduction to her character, and it continued with how she interacted with Molly for the first time too. Yeah, yeah, agreed. <laughs> I like how they made Patrick Swayze and her character, and how Oda May was going to convince Molly's character. Like, I think that yeah. there was it was really well written at that point in time because I truly believe that if somebody like Oda May came up to me and was like this person that has died that you know is speaking to me and they're speaking to me in this way and you're kind of having that sassy back and forth with them but she also just knows everything about you that like that I would believe her in that situation I think I legitimately I think that I would believe her with the details that Sam was bringing up you could see his like the depth of their love mm-hmm. and their relationship and that is what made it so convincing because he remembered like all of these uh like beautiful little moments that they had and that's what he was referencing not like like his mom's name is maria or whatever right. yeah and that's like, maybe where this movie is slightly dated because in the age of the internet a lot of that information is relatively accessible to anybody who wants to find it right well, not not what sweaters in your closet that you made. Not necessarily, like, but like there are inferences that you can make, right? Like about a yeah. person, and so yeah. I think that's maybe where the modern audience is going to maybe ever so slightly feel like it's less genuine. Yeah, yeah. Although, like you know, as we as the audience do know that she is directly speaking to Sam, 
Yeah. Like, and the particular quote that I'm thinking of when you're talking about this is uh, when Oda Mace says, like, I don't know you. I don't know Sam, but let me tell you what he did to me. He kept me up all night singing, I am Henry the Eighth, I am. And Molly yes. goes, that's how he got me to go out with him. <laughs> yeah, that that was a great scene. And I was just looking at the quote that I wrote down for that as well. Mm-hmm. And um, that whole interaction was just great because she added so much of that comedy and he was so comedic when he was singing that too. And the last quote that I have is when Oda May and Sam are in the bank trying to convince the bankers to give them $4 million. So as somebody who who's in the finance world, I was sitting there like, this is the most unbelievable part of this movie in a movie full of yeah. ghosts and, yeah. and like all this crazy <laughs> other stuff happening, these hijinks. I was like, I don't believe this aspect of this film. That anybody would just give this one $4 million after, like, how shady she is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, so, like, when she says $4 million and the Lyle, the banker, says, yes, $4 million, uh, how would you like that? And she goes, 10s and 20s? Like, 10s and 20s. <laughs> and she yeah. goes, no, cashier's check. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, he should have prepared her more. Yeah. But he didn't understand, like, because he was a finance guy, he... he- didn't understand what he did. That's a know really good her. point. I didn't think about that. That if if you're a financially literate person, you might not you might assume that somebody else understands things as much as you do and doesn't accept yeah. expect somebody to be so naive. What I was actually thinking of just now was that the other reason why they might not have prepared is because Patrick Swayze's character had such an urgency about him throughout the mm. film that like he just might not have thought that he had the time to do that. And he yeah. kind of didn't, yeah. right? Like in that particular moment. Like they were like getting down to the wire of when Carl was going to send the money to whoever he was sending the money to, right? Yeah, yeah. I loved seeing those computers just as a separate point. The old like, style computers? <laughs> yeah, yeah. His urgency, was it necessary? Because there was still hope, like probably be a paper trail and they could go through a whole like financial audit type thing because he's he's a financial whiz sam right so he but probably could have figured out another way uh but, i so i would counter that in the sense that we just watch oda may struggle to get money pulled withdrawn from a bank yeah so to yeah. have oda may be like the the financial like fraud investigator of this mm. uh situation but, he could get Otome to go to his boss and be like, Sam did this to you once. Or like Sam's mm, like, I don't know that the same thing with Molly. But, yeah. but this is, and this is where I'm going back to what I was saying earlier. If you want to make a second, a sequel to this film starring Patrick Swayze and Whoopi Goldberg fighting crime together, Just I'm in. financial crime. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm in, I'm in, I'm sold. <laughs> oh, uh, another note about the bank. When they walk into the bank from the street, I'm pretty sure that that is the exact same bank from Spider-Man, the first trilogy with Tobey Maguire. Oh, no I, way. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure that's the bank that Peter Parker and Aunt May go to the bank and then the Green Goblin shows up or whatever and starts blowing shit up. I'm pretty sure that's it. Cool. I didn't actually look at any of the locations and where they were filmed in this one, so... You I didn't do right. research on it, but yeah, I just, I'm, I'm like almost a hundred percent sure. Mm-hmm. I think Carl died too quick. <laughs> the glass went in him and then he was dead. <laughs> That's, this is like technical parts. We could just go right into that section, but Carl died too quick from just the glass falling on him. It was like it severed his heart, but it was in his stomach. I really appreciated the guillotine style death though. Really like, yeah. really like that. Yeah, the shooting of it and just the concept, like it was, it was good because it was an accident. He wasn't yeah. really trying to kill him. Yeah, but that's what I was saying after this film when Jess and I were discussing. I was like, "But what are the after effects of this?" Because Carl's just suddenly like dead, dead, like with this, and there's a like fraudster woman who's known to the police, and Molly who's been like you know, trying to convince the police that of all yeah. this ghost stuff, like, like, how does this, what are the after effects? What's the aftermath of all of this? Um, Molly and um, Whoopi go to jail. Yeah. Another spinoff movie. <laughs> oh man. We're thinking of so many great spinoffs that could have happened. <laughs> yeah. Patrick Swayze stays around to try and break them out of jail. Or, or he comes back to break them out of jail to convince yeah. the world yeah, yeah. that ghosts exist. 
Yes. And then we get Ghostbusters. Holy crap. Yes. <laughs> what a tie-in. <laughs> oh, man. That would be so funny. Uh, that's wild. All right, let's move into effects and filming. So the writer-director, Jerry Zucker, wanted to make a movie that would uh, make you laugh and cry and get scared. It, it, the film itself is supposed to be a, a roller coaster ride, essentially. And I think he nailed it because, like, oh, boy, what like what a mix of genres, what a, like, just, you know, like, the plot moves at a relatively quick pace um, for two hours, even though I do have some, maybe some editing notes that I will bring up in my personal review. But for the most part, like, it, it moves pretty quickly. It, it flows between all of the just different genres so well that, like, I, I think what he set out to do, he absolutely captured that with everything that he had at his disposal like like of the times mm-hmm. he killed it yeah so Odame brown was not written for whoopi goldberg which is really hard to believe and in mm. fact almost didn't go to her it was patrick swayze who had to convince the director and producers that she was the right fit for that role he really wanted to star in a movie with her and i gotta give it to him he was right like this it was such a there was so much chemistry between them that I cannot picture anybody else in that role. Were they in anything together previously? No. Or just, he just understood like she would kill it. Yeah. I think that was just it. Um, so great for him to, to be aware of that. And, and on that note as well, like Patrick Swayze almost didn't get the role of Sam. Um, and it was actually tossed around Hollywood quite a bit and went to a lot of different actors. Um, I won't, I won't go into that in too, too much detail, but, but yeah, it really was the, uh, the interview that he gave, um, where he, he cried about the fact that his father passed away and it was that emotion that they wanted to capture the dark shadows. So the filming with those, like the, the noise of those was so creepy and the way that they actually created those sounds where they're actually baby's cries played mm. at extremely slow speeds and backwards. That's so smart. Yeah. It, and it like, like, it's so eerie. Like they, they really captured a creepy vibe to that. It's grating. Like yeah. it, yeah, it, it's perfect. It's the perfect sound mm-hmm. for that scene. Yeah. For them taking somebody to hell, the steamy pottery scene. The, the pot itself wasn't supposed to break apart when it did, but after that, Patrick Swayze and Demi Moore just kind of went with it and just kind of like off the cuff, like continued on with the scene. And that's what we ended up getting in the movie, which is really and cool. The way he was playing, like moving the clay around her hands, mm-hmm. like he was just like rubbing her hands and stuff right. while she was trying to rub the clay. Like it was like you could, it, it was well done because you could tell like he didn't care about the clay. He was just there for her. Yeah. And like, it's very much in character with him as well as this investment kind of bro guy. Yeah. I, I fully agree with you. So here's, here's a note for any aspiring film directors when they were filming the chase scene in New York. And at this point in time, Patrick Swayze is the only one who's dead. They had, it was really cold out. So everybody was bundled up and kept warm, but Patrick Swayze was just wearing his regular clothes. And so they actually had him chew ice during those scenes so that his breath didn't like fog out and show that he was alive kind of, ah, thing, okay. which is a really, really interesting little, little note there uh, for yeah. if, if you're trying to hide that. <laughs> Surprised that works so well. Yeah. Tony Goldwyn, the actor behind Carl uh, said that he was very much hated after this film, just <laughs> out in the public, like people despised him for killing Patrick Swayze and there was a point in time where there was a waitress who who refused to serve him essentially and just kept shooting him death stares and at some point she finally came over to him and was like i don't know where i know you from and i don't know why i hated you but like do i know you from something and he was like i'm in ghost and she was like oh that that explains like why i hate you so much (laughs) yeah yeah that's hilarious i'm surprised with how like wide reaching this movie was it makes sense because of who was in it and everything. Mm. And this like elevated Demi more to like a, 
like high paid actress. Like she, this like kind of brought her up to the next level. Yeah. So it, it does kind of make sense how big of an impact this was culturally for Carl to get recognized. And, and this is one of the highest grossing movies of all time. Like when it came out, it made half a billion dollars in 1990. That blows my mind. Yeah. Yeah. Patrick Swayze made 400,000 or four, four million, I'm something sure. like that. Like he, I think, I think it was four million mm-hmm. just for this. I was like, "That's crazy for the '90s." Yeah, and like this movie was the highest-grossing film of 1990. It was higher-grossing than like Home Alone, which came out in that year. Wow, I guess it has more appeal to more people. Like, it's not just a kids movie. Yeah, but still, like kids movies make a lot of money because of what they are. Mm-hmm. Bruce Willis turned the role down. Yeah, and then he afterwards he said that he really regretted that. Yeah, I don't think he could have done it. It would definitely be a different movie without Patrick Swayze. And there, like I said kind of before, Patrick Swayze brings a very unique presence to a film that not a lot of actors have a similar charisma about them. Yeah, yeah. So let's talk score. This movie uh, was nominated for an Oscar for its score. And I got to say, like, it it's a good score. Like they use the righteous brothers unchained melody at near the end, which is an absolute banger of a song. Really, really good. Really well utilized. And it was noticeable. Like we, after the movie, we listened to that song just because like it's stuck in your head. It was Mm -hmm. very well chosen. Mm -hmm. But the rest of the score was composed by a French composer named Maurice Jarre. And our modern audiences aren't necessarily going to know other scores composed by him, but let me read out these films anyway. Uh, So he scored Lawrence of Arabia, Dead Poet Society, Fatal Attraction, and Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome. Damn. So, yeah. That's huge. Kind of an important composer. Yeah. And what I'll say about his composition of the score is... Not only is it memorable, like not only is like the addition of the the Righteous Brothers Unchained Melody kind of get into your head a little bit, but the the film score does a really good job of pulling, drawing the emotion out of you that it wants to draw out of you at the particular times. Mm-hmm. There's something about that final scene where Sam succeeds. He he's completes like saving Molly, and you know he says good his final goodbyes to them. Like there's. There's a genuine heartfelt moment there that yeah. is is partially credit. I can give partial credit to the score for. It's it gets you in that right mood to feel the right things. Yeah, yeah exactly. It sets it all up because if you think about how much of a roller coaster ride the rest of the film is to get you back into that feeling is is no small task at that point in time. I don't think. Yeah, and if you think about like the rest of the film, how on the edge of your seat you are mm-hmm. that has to add into that so much because they can only show so much but with that extra uh like background like feel it keeps the like the momentum of the movie going when it's at it's like most intense parts too yeah yeah i agree all right let's do a look back at the times so patrick swayze did it explain why he wanted to do this movie and he said that he needed to do ghost for his soul he said he'd just come off Roadhouse and Next of Kin, and he didn't want to be considered just an action actor. Mm-hmm. And what a great idea to be in this movie because this is one of his most iconic performances uh, alongside something like a Roadhouse. And Bruce Joel Rubin, the writer of the script, when when he went to meet studio executives, this is a really funny story about the script. Uh, they told him that uh, we just wanted to let you know that Ghost is the best script we have ever read. So when he left after hearing that, like he was like, you know, cloud nine over the moon. And then a week later, he was on the studio lot and the exact same executives were telling another writer, we just want you to know that your script is the best script we've ever read, which is just (laughs) such a Hollywood story that I I had to mention that. And then like the, the fact of how important this film is, it can't be understated how, how important this film is to the nineties culture is like this movie had a budget of like 20 million dollars like they weren't expected to be this successful even by like relative terms like they were expecting you know they were like i think we have a good film on our hands like this 20 million dollar budget we think we might make a hundred million dollars and they ended up making like five times their expectations which is just wild and 
it basically just catapulted all three of those actors like uh, like Whoopi Goldberg Demi to the Moore. next level yeah, yeah exactly and and Patrick Swayze all became household names at that point in time and the reason why it was so popular at the time is because it it did become kind of a date movie and female audiences were the ones kind of pushing to to go see this at the theater which is funny because boy there's a little bit for mine and Jess's review I actually like this movie more than Jess did I think as a guy yeah i think that's what made it so successful probably yeah is because women would draw their partners in mm-hmm. to the movie and the partner would be like this was actually really good yeah <laughs> like I'm, I'm glad i'm glad we watched this and not some other like romantic bullshit yeah yeah exactly <laughs> like the like the romance parts are small but intense yes which is like most of our sex lives <laughs> <laughs> Well, and even <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, and even in like the first 15 minutes of like the movie, like we said, it it feels like the movie's going one direction and it really it really plays to the people who went to this movie thinking it was going to be a heavy romance film. And then it kind of flips the tables at a certain point in time and and that's where me as somebody who doesn't necessarily love romantic films was like, mm-hmm. "No, I'm in. I'm invested. Like this is this is I like where this is heading now." Yeah, yeah. I understand how it became so good like so big now Mm -hmm. all right let's talk legacy so patrick swayze said that this was the hardest role he did ever play in his career because again he he was an observer to the action and what was going on rather than being an active participant like i think and this is probably something that other action stars can relate to is that when the crucial part of your acting is the action and the way that you bring the action to the screen maybe doing some of these like more grounded emotion heavy roles are are a little bit tougher to portray on screen yeah i honestly think his like fighting when he was trying to punch people and like when he was it makes sense i guess for a financial like bro guy who probably doesn't know how to fight that well Mm -hmm. but like for patrick swayze i didn't like how he was punching like it looked so ridiculous (laughs) on screen so to me i was like he shouldn't be doing any of that. He should just stick to this like watching thing, which is basically what the whole role was for him. Whereas like he, he was trying to show he isn't just a action person. And I think he sucked at the action anyway. So have you seen roadhouse? I've seen so many clips. It's Uh, like I've seen it, but I haven't actually watched. We'll have to do that on the podcast sometime. And I want to do that one. Whenever we do get to it, I want to do that one with me, you and Mike together, because I think there's enough, there to talk about that that we the three of us would have a lot of fun doing that episode together mm. but yeah he's he's an action hero that his fight style is somewhat different to what you expect from an action star of that era i would say yeah it's not as good <laughs> <laughs> there's a special kind of charm to it yeah yeah so so the film itself has been spoofed so many times since looks like countless Mm. times in tv and other movies and that's why going into this movie like maybe some of these the aspects of the film do feel kind of played out because chances are you've probably seen parts of this movie and other things before and after the effects of patrick swayze uh women would come up to him years later and just say ditto to him or ask him to say ditto to them. Yeah, yeah. Which is so silly. Uh, I was going to say that, like, that's another aspect that really dates this, mm-hmm. is, like, the way they said ditto in a serious manner. Right. Like, it was, I like, think maybe cutesy or something. I think some, I, I think there are a few films that have done this in in film history where they've they've almost tried to, like, find a way to make something culturally relevant um, I've, I've seen this before, and I, yeah. I can't think of any off the top of my head. But yeah, if it doesn't stick, if it doesn't quite land, that it does come off come kind of cringy. And apparently, it did kind of stick. Yeah, I feel like Ditto is a '90s thing to say. It's yeah, it's just not necessarily our generations. Yeah, like I kind of remember it being around as a kid, mm-hmm. but it wasn't like when we were kids. It was now cool to start saying like sweet. Like, sweet, man. And a lot of people our age still say sweet, Mm -hmm. whereas kids younger than us would never do that. So it's like, yeah, maybe the older people who were alive in the 90s, like the teens and stuff, they probably got into saying ditto because of this movie. It might have worked, but us looking back on it, it's instant, like, cringe. (laughs) Yeah. 
and there's a quote from Demi Moore from 2013 uh, that I, I really enjoyed with her discussion of the film. And she said that the movie itself is a love story. It's like about a guy, a dead guy trying to save his wife. And there's a comedy part, but really it's a love story. And I thought, wow, this is a recipe for disaster. It's either going to be something really special, really amazing, or an absolute bust. And then she said, you know, like the beauty of the film is that at the time, none of us knew. And the alchemy that came together between Whoopi and Patrick, it was magical, basically. And that's, again, that's my favorite part of this movie is their relationship, not necessarily the love story. Yeah. And Whoopi does steal the show. Yeah. Like instant laughs in every scene, basically. Yeah. I've got a rap legacy to this, uh, rap hip-hop. If you've ever heard a rap or hip-hop song that uses the phrase, I'm Swayze, this Mm. is actually a reference to this movie. And what it means is that basically it's a replacement of I'm Ghost, which means like I'm I'm ghosting somebody or I'm leaving. Mm. Mm. And the main person who actually used this was uh, the Notorious B.I.G. Used it in a few of his songs to say I'm Swayze. So, yeah. So that's hilarious. Yeah. So our our rap and hip hop fans uh, are definitely going to hear that and not be able to unhear that ever again. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So that's very interesting. Yeah. Really cool. Sequels, prequels and reboots. The film itself is an original piece. But when the writer of the film where he got the idea from was actually watching a production of Hamlet. And particularly when Hamlet's dead father is telling him to right. avenge his death, uh, he thought that idea would make a really good movie about a ghost trying to avenge somebody's death. And I got to say, and and I want to hear your thoughts on this, but I think that this movie actually does do a really good job of almost becoming a modern day Shakespearean tale. Yeah. And my thought process on that is A, because of the inspiration from Hamlet, but there's actually also direct references to Macbeth as well throughout the film. There's a few references, like they go to see Macbeth uh, in the theater yeah. at the beginning. Uh, I think that the way that they teach Shakespeare in school isn't maybe the best way. Like, I, like mm. I don't know if I resonated with Shakespeare at all, but from what I've heard, if you go and see it live, there's there's a lot of comedy that to Shakespeare's yeah. plays that uh, you miss in awkwardly reading it as a teenager that I think that this movie captures really well. And I like, I almost think that it could be considered like Shakespearean in a sense. Now that you mention it, I definitely see all the like correlations and I do agree. It does make a good um, like modern day representation of Shakespearean plays, like, especially because with, plays you really have to like ham it up in certain areas mm-hmm. and they kind of do that yeah so like like and they they bring like the height of emotions up like fairly frequently i i i see it i'm glad that you see it that you're on board with that idea yeah um so remakes so there's been two indian remakes that were made immediately after like i'm talking like within a couple of years there was two indian remakes of this like to Bollywood? Uh, yeah, complete like knockoffs. Yeah, yeah. And then more recently, there was a Japanese remake. I want to say it was 2013, but I can't quite remember the it date. It was 2013. I just saw that. Funny enough, current relevancy to today's day and age. Back in January of 2023, so like not too long ago, a couple weeks ago, Channing Tatum actually bought the rights to this film and is planning on remaking this film with him starring as Patrick Swayze's character. No way. Yeah. So, huh. I saw somebody was also thinking about making it into a series. Oh, interesting. Like slight it was like a year or two ago, I think 2020. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, yeah, I mean, we'll see what what Channing Tatum does with it. Channing Tatum's like a an actor that has surprisingly good depth to his roles mm-hmm. and I'm always happy to see him in a film. Yeah, he's often playing someone dumb. Yeah. But he plays it smart yeah like Like he there's intelligence behind how he plays it yeah so i i agree so it'll be interesting to see what he does with the character and the role i mean if he like he's if he's listening to this podcast right now and he wants to (laughs) make a uh movie that's a basically a crime thriller with somebody of Whoopi goldberg's stature then i'm here for it i'll I'll, i'm fully invested i'll buy i'll I'll buy out a full theater i'll put it out there (laughs) right now channing uh, I will pay for a full theater viewing with as many people as I can get to go see that. I'm going to tweet at him or something. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. 
What's really interesting is there hasn't been any sequels to this film. And the reason why is actually not because the for the lack of trying for Paramount. They really, really did want to create a sequel, but not a single person from the original film had any interest and they couldn't sign any of them. Like not the director, writer, hmm. Patrick Swayze, Demi Moore, Whoopi Goldberg. They all thought it was a bad idea. And so they never made a sequel because, and good on all of those people to not yeah, take the money yeah. and run, right? So a lot of respect there. Yeah. I feel like if this was like if this was uh, made a few years more recent, yep. they might have went for it. Yeah, probably post 2005, like I can very much see us being on ghost number like 6 now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> two ghosts, two fears. <laughs> <laughs> There's two Patrick Swayze's. <laughs> Die Hard or Ghost Forever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Ghost Forever. Yeah. All right, so personal reviews in the partner factor. I expect as the audience of our podcast, you kind of know where we sit on this, but I'll talk mine and Jess's review first. I really like this. I I was surprised by how much I like this film, and I enjoyed this more than Jess, I think. Not going on my like top list of all time, but I had a lot of fun with it, and I think I'm going to return this movie in the next few years. Like I think this is a movie that was entertaining enough that – you know, I'll be sitting at home one night and Ghost will pop up on whatever streaming platform I'm scrolling through and I'll go, yeah, I'm down. I think, though, that the film could have used a bit of a cut. And this is where I, I'm coming back to something I talked about earlier is it's a just over two hour movie. And I think that this movie could use a 10 to 20 minute cut to the time. And the reason why I say that is because at two hours it feels like this movie should have more depth to it than it does. And what I'm particularly referring to is the crime element of this film, because we really don't know anything about Carl and what the crime aspect of this film, but it's so central to the story that missing that element and why he's so afraid. And like, even how he got in this mess to begin with, like I want to understand more of that, but the film never really gives us any of that. And that's not necessarily the story it's telling, but it's the story that I want to hear nonetheless. Yeah, so the, what would they cut to replace that with to keep it at two hours or just cut out that I think that, extra time? I think that if you cut this movie like 20 minutes somewhere in the middle, because, and this is what Jess said as well, like Jess got a little irritated in the middle. She's like, how is Because we paused it because I had to go to the washroom. And uh, it was around the hour mark. And she's like, how is there an hour left in this movie? Because we already know who the killer is. We know where yeah. this is heading. Like, where is there another hour in this movie? And I, like, I do in part kind of agree with her because there's no real depth to the actual crimes being committed. So like, it's not like we care about that necessarily. So there's probably some running around that could have been cut down. If he could fly maybe as a ghost. <laughs> well, he just then appears. He could have just like, I don't think he has to walk to places specifically. No, he does. Really? He has to take the subway. Oh yeah, that's true. But didn't he get to like Oda May's place like really quickly? I don't know. There's, yeah, there's because he could walk through walls and abilities. not pay for stuff. Yeah. True. True. But yeah, like I think I think that if you didn't want to have that level of depth in this movie, that you should have made it a little bit of a quicker runtime. Is just my thought anyway. I could agree with that. Uh, I think we also experienced that where we're like, oh, there's still an hour left. Like we were into it enough to keep going, and it wasn't a problem. Mm-hmm. But it was just shocking that there's still an hour left. Yeah. For our review, we probably liked it about the same, mm-hmm. which is. We liked it well enough to watch it once, I think, and be like happy with it. Probably not discuss it or remember it that much, except when it comes up in pop culture or like discussion or whatever. Yeah, overall, it was good. It wasn't great. It was great at the time, sure. Yeah. I respect it, but like I wouldn't watch it again on purpose unless like I ran out of other movies to show my future kids or something (laughs) like I I had already run through like 500 movies before this it's not even close to it like at top of my list I think like there's other Patrick Swayze movies that I would watch before this Mm -hmm. it was good though yeah it's it's it fits into a weird area of film where it's like I really had a lot of fun I really enjoyed it it's not like a masterpiece by any means but it's completely serviceable. Yeah, like, it's like, if I had one big bag of all the movies that I would 
watch or show someone, it would be in the bag just loose. It wouldn't be in like a, a pocket inside the bag of like, I want this type of movie or I want that type of movie. It would just be rattling around in the bottom of my, my bag. Like, I don't love it. But it's good. You know where it sits in? It's a watch where you're like, I don't understand how Ghost made $500 million at the box office, and I don't understand why Ghost is so largely important to the 90s. It's like, well, you know, give it a watch, and and yeah. you'll understand, like, why it it had such widespread appeal. If I was going for, like, nostalgia, it would fit into a nostalgia box for me mm-hmm. because it does give so much of what the 90s was or define like the the decade a little bit at the beginning of the decade it was like this is what the 90s is going to be like so like it fits into a nostalgia box for me you know what i equate this to is avatar the first avatar movie it's a movie that had widespread appeal did crazy numbers at the box office but the cultural impact of it is a little bit more subtle yeah Exactly. Yeah, because it seemed like it should have a huge cultural impact, Avatar. Yeah. But like after you had watched it, you're like, it was good. Yeah, that's and that's exactly what you feel like coming out of this one is it's good. That's pretty fair. Yeah. Yeah. So will you ever return to this movie? Then it doesn't. It doesn't sound like it's necessarily top of your list to return to. But yeah, no, I hopefully have like fifty years left in my life, so I think <laughs> I'll eventually I'll. <laughs> I laugh because I doubt you have 50 years left in your yeah, life. No, I'm kidding. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe five at least. So, no, I'm not going to watch it again. <laughs> I, I think I will. I think I will return to this one someday. Like, some of Annabelle's quotes were like, uh, when did Patrick Swayze start getting plastic surgery? Because it looks like he might have a little bit in his cheeks now. Mm-hmm. Maybe not. Mm-hmm. Another one... Oh, she caught, like, one of those things that you could get away with in the 90s, but you can't now, is after they had that elevator scene, right. uh, Sam and Carl, mm-hmm. they walk in and one of them, like, says to a girl, like, looking good, to, like, <laughs> like he's, like, hitting on some chick. Yeah. Well, and that's, and that's just further, like, building up the idea of these two as investment bros, right? Yeah, yeah, that, that works there. Annabelle was like, how did she get away with that haircut about... <laughs> Demi Moore. That was that's a really interesting story actually that we haven't talked about yet is she actually interviewed with long hair and they hired her with long hair and then she showed up on day 1 of filming with that short hair because she had decided that's what the character would have had and huh. the director was furious when he saw it yeah. and then eventually yeah. came around to it and said, "You know what? It works exactly for who this character is." I agree because she is an artist and an artist wouldn't be focused on like herself as the piece of art yeah she's like she wants to make beautiful art there's almost like a tomboyishness to her as well yeah Yeah. that kind of works to to her credit too and she does look great on a scale of short women with short hair in movies like she she pulls it off yeah is what i'm trying to say in a i'll leave it there (laughs) (laughs) fair enough so also Annabelle was like, no one else could do a pottery scene for the rest of movie history. Like, no, without nobody could do it better than that without parodying it. It's it's a scene that instantly like cemented itself as the best of 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 what it's trying to accomplish yeah. and, and the the aspect of what it's doing. And you'll never see it again in film because of that. Un- yeah. Until they ruin they ruin pottery for the rest of film history for the it's rest it's of true time. probably it'll be interesting <laughs> yeah. to see if uh channing tatum goes for that angle in his movie or if uh he tries yeah. to go somewhere else i i don't know what's what's the uh what's this what's the sexy new thing in 2023 is it podcasting there's a lot of movies with podcasters oh, now i hope so can you imagine <laughs> like you're talking like somebody's like coming up and like trying to be sexy while you're podcasting? touching your mouth yeah. <laughs> the way he was touching her hands like <laughs> yeah anyway so to wrap up, uh, plans for the next month or so here. We're getting close to Oscars season. We've had uh, our nominations for the Oscars for this year come out, and we're just over a month away, I think, from the Oscars. So that will be our plan for the next couple of episodes is we're going to be talking some Oscar movies of yesterday. Of We haven't decided yet on what, what year we're going to do. Yeah, we. I really enjoyed the last year where we did uh 1953 yeah it was an old one but like we uh we watched ben-hur which is like a phenomenal movie like a really really great film that we should have maybe talked a little bit more about in our uh top movie list because i i did genuinely really enjoy it yeah and some like it hot which 
blew my mind at how funny and and classic it was yeah so it's it's big shoes to follow i think this year and i sent you and mike a couple of uh suggestions about maybe what we could do but we'll have to finalize it soon but i'm really excited for it yeah me too yeah so I guess on that note, uh, if you have any recommendations for Oscar years that we should pick uh, this year, leave a comment uh, in any one of our podcasting networks or on Facebook. Even like a decade that you want to see. Yeah. Like what we're like, and then we'll pick the year within that decade. Until next time, uh, we have to come with come up with a cool tagline for the end of our podcast. We need something. Mm, yeah. Be Kind Rewind is like, the one that's like overplayed overplayed yeah but i don't know don't share passwords i mean i don't, <laughs> I don't know netflix passwords <laughs> be kind share your password <laughs> yeah i don't know we'll have to come up with something that's uh for another episode anyway so anyway yep. have a good one everyone all right bye